G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. During the marriage debate last year, the No campaign brought significant issues to light that shocked so many Australians. Many shook their heads in disbelief that issues like gender fluidity or transgenderism were being included as part of the campaign connected to homosexual marriage. Well, Now, as the Safe Schools program continues to be propagated in some schools in some states around Australia, funded by some state governments, parents appear to be largely in the dark about whether their child is even being taught these things in school. So as a Christian, you might be wondering if there is a biblical Christian position on which you can be confident when talking about issues like this with your children and in those sometimes awkward water-cooler conversations as Aussies try to make sense of these changes that they did not anticipate. Well, Christian cultural commentator Bill Muhlenberg from Culture Watch has been writing about transgender issues for many years. In light of the Bible, let's try to make sense of what it means to think through these things in light of God's Word in the Scriptures. Bill Muhlenberg from Culture Watch, welcome back to 2020. Great to be back. Well, Bill, as I mentioned, you've been writing about this sort of thing for years, and we're talking years and years. I think uh, you've calculated, you've written somewhere uh, north of 130 articles on the subject of transgenderism, and it is something that sometimes people are still very confused about. Yeah, well, uh, let me give a a minor correction. Uh, I certainly do have over 130, I think it's about 140 articles on transgenderism, but in one sense, it's it's a kind of a new issue. I mean, it ties in with older issues, of course, but, you know, three years ago, nobody was talking about trans issues. Nobody was even, you know, looking at the gender bender uh, reality that we now find everywhere. So those 140 articles are probably the result of about, what, the last two years at best, simply because that's when it's all been uh, foisted upon us. But of course, it all flows from, uh, you know, all the radical 60s, radical feminism, radical homosexual ideology. So in that sense, it's been around for many decades, but it's really just come uh, like a flood everywhere in the West, just in the kind of the last several years. So, you know, it's been made on the cover of Time magazine. You have it everywhere. You have the uh, Bruce Jenner stories, all the, you know, it's everywhere now. So it's kind of new. So, yeah, I've been writing a lot on it. And uh, the way it's going, I might have to do a book as well. Yes, and uh, no doubt you've got a lot of content already for the possibility of a book sometime soon. Bill, uh, the risk of, uh, we don't want to leave anyone behind, 
in a conversation like this. And I want to invite listeners to participate in our conversation. So uh, we'll open our talkback lines on 1-800-316-316. You might also like to leave a comment on our Facebook page, uh, just Facebook uh, forward slash Vision Radio. Bill, we don't want to leave anyone behind, so let's come to some very basics as we get the conversation underway because uh, when people talk about transgenderism, uh, sometimes there might be some who are thinking, well, uh, I thought it was one thing, uh, not the sort of thing you were talking about. Let's get a definition in place here. When you talk about transgender, what do you mean by that? Yeah, it's good to lay out what's going on here. Of course, there would be a fair amount of terminology already out there on this issue, you know, some of the more uh, basic and, uh, you know, for some maybe flippant, you'd talk about gender bender theory and all the rest, but uh, one of the more common terms accepted by many parties now is uh, gender dysphoria, and I suppose a simple definition of that is there's a conflict between a person's actual body be it male or female, and their feelings about it, their mental, psychological unease with who they are, with the gender of their birth. So they're not happy. And the line being pushed by the trans activist is simply that if there is a conflict like this going on, well, basically, your your feelings or your identity trumps your biology. <laughs> if you're a guy who feels like you're really a girl, well, then your desires to become a girl should trump the fact that you have a guy's body, that every cell in your body is screaming male, that you have all the male organs and so on. Uh, so it's a radical attempt, and of course radical means are used, everything from puberty blockers to actual surgery of different kinds to remove bits or add bits. Uh, it's a radical attempt to disassociate your body from your thoughts, your feelings, and the feelings win, your body loses, and sadly it's being foisted on so many young children who are still in the process of development, of course, that uh, no wonder many experts in the field have actually said this is a type of uh, child abuse. It's wrong in every sense. Uh, you simply don't uh, become another uh, gender. Uh, if you're born male, you're always going to be male, no matter how many uh, operations and things you try to do, you're always going to be who you are. So it's uh, it's uh, certainly an adult activist agenda, closely tied in with the homosexual agenda, tied in with the old radical feminist agenda. Even in the 60s, they were pushing this idea of androgyny, the idea that there is no difference between male and female, this idea that gender is a social construct has nothing to do with your DNA, your chromosomes, has everything to do with social power plays and all that. So this uh, ideology has certainly been around for a half century or more, but it's just all come to the fore, as we know, in the last few years with some of these famous Hollywood cases. Now everywhere, as you rightly said, the safe schools agenda is absolutely up to its ears, not just in promoting the homosexual lifestyle, but in promoting transgenderism, telling young children that, hey, if you feel unhappy with your body, you can basically uh, divorce your body. You can declare war on your body and pretend that your body is not real, but how you feel or identify is real, and then you take steps accordingly. So that's kind of 
in a nutshell, uh, what's going on with the whole transgender thing. And uh, already books have been written, and plenty of articles, and uh, it's, it's, it's another war. It's, you know, when we talk about the culture wars, this is a big battlefront, and it's going to sadly impact probably most of our homes, our schools, and uh, it's probably going to get worse. And Bill, is it fair enough to say that as a Christian believer coming to the topic of transgender, that there are going to be those levels of compassion required as well as uh, levels of uh, uh, activism required because there are those, as you use that terminology, uh, gender dysphoria, those who are caught up, uh, innocent uh, innocent uh, of uh, any wrongdoing uh, because they've uh, been uh, caught up in that conflict of feelings about their body, as you were saying. But on the other hand, there's this militancy, this activism that has a deeper agenda that needs to be addressed. So you've got this sort of shared compassion as well as a defense for truth here. Mm. Uh, how, do you, how do you describe the, the way that Christians need to be thinking about this uh, by way of compassion and, again, by activism? Yeah, well, you're exactly right. You've nailed it. In fact, uh, just uh, several days ago, I was speaking on this very topic to a group of uh, medical professionals. So uh, I introduced my talk by saying, look, I don't have a lot of time, so I can only preface my remarks this way. But obviously, as a Christian, we always, you know, it's the old love the or hate the sin, which is a bit of a cliche, but we do want to show God's love and compassion to people struggling with this. In that sense, it's, you know, like anything else. Those who are uh, struggling with same-sex attractions, those who are struggling with gambling addictions, those who are struggling with pornography addictions. On the one hand, as Christians, we love the individual. We recognize they're made in the image of God. They're somebody for whom... Christ has died, so we do need to show them that love and compassion. But, as you also rightly said, there is what we might call the public policy side of this. There's the truth side of this. We don't sit back, even as we love individuals, and allow governments to ride roughshod over our values, over our children, over, you know, everything, over reality. Uh, This is a war that's been declared on biology on our dna on the very heart of what it means to be human male or female so in that sense we have to get involved we have to take a stand for truth uh you know we get involved with contacting politicians we can hold rallies uh highlighting the dangers of the safe schools programs which are done often we can uh, write letters to editors we can contact politicians get involved in Senate inquiries, uh, plenty that we can do. We have to speak truth, and we have to resist the radical agendas of some of these activists who really are uh, pushing an agenda. They made it quite clear what they want to do. So we love the individual struggling in this area, but we also have to, certainly for the sake of our children and our grandchildren, we have to take a stand publicly. We have to affirm truth. We have to know what we're talking about. We have to read up a bit on these issues, and then we have to stand for truth, whether it's with your non-Christian friend, giving them some of the non-Christian facts and figures, or with your fellow believer, giving them the biblical uh, slant as well. So that's uh, 
something we have to do. It's a package deal. So, Bill, as Christian believers, we're looking for some ways that we can form a foundation for what we understand because uh, so many listening will say, well, I'm a follower of Christ. Uh, I believe that there is a truth, a truth that God has given to us in the Bible. And there is a sense in which while we understand that the Bible doesn't have the word transgender in it, uh, that the Bible does speak very significantly about issues of sexuality. And so this idea of having a understanding of the original intention of what God has for human sexuality to be an unmovable point of reference. Uh, we need to actually have a high view of the Bible to actually have that sort of reference point, don't we? Well, absolutely right. Uh for the Christian, everything does come from uh, the Word of God and what it teaches. That is our starting point. So that's how we ass- uh, assess everything that we, uh, that we uh, are dealing with, whether it's human sexuality, uh, any number of things. We have to take a stand with Scripture. And, uh, well, the Bible has a lot to say on the issue of human sexuality. So uh, that is our starting point. That is where we begin. And, uh, you know, that is always going to be our point of reference. Okay, so let's come to what would truly be the uh, the biggest and uh, most firm foundation for a Christian to be able to make sense of what's happening with all of these different uh, issues that might be blowing around and uh, wa- causing our faith to even waver. Uh, but uh, coming back to Genesis chapter 1, yep. uh, Bill, uh, yep. how, do, how do we uh, look at Genesis chapter 1 and say this is so important for us to understand sexuality? Yeah, well, look, that is the foundation. <laughs> that is the the rock on which we build everything else. If we want to know anything about God's intentions for human sexuality, uh, you have to go back to the uh, guidebook, the beginning, the way God intended things to be. And that, of course, is Genesis 1. We do hear about the creation of mankind as male and female, made in his image. We read about the idea of leaving and cleaving, so God's earliest affirmation and intention for human sexuality was always one man, one woman in marriage for life. That's kind of the the gold standard of all discussions of human sexuality. So anything that falls outside of that, as all the rest of Scripture and Jesus himself made clear, that has to be seen as wrong. So it could be adultery, could be fornication, could be homosexuality. Uh, and the same here with the transgender, where we're basically saying God was wrong. God got it wrong when he created us male or female. We're really shaking our fists at God and saying, look, I I disagree strongly with the, the way you created us, the whole creation order. I'm uh, objecting. I'm uh, I'm going to go a different way on this. I'm not going to run with your idea of man as male and female. Uh, so it really is. It's a, a kind of rebellion against the very created order of God. Paul says as much about things like homosexuality in Romans 1, how it is a, a shaking of the fist to God and everything that he was, has made that was good, as God said. So it's uh, it's um, for the Christian, it's a non-negotiable. We go back to Genesis 1. As we said, Jesus fully affirmed the teachings of Genesis 1 and 2 
in various places in the Gospels. The whole of Scripture affirms this when we see, you know, God in Israel seeing this kind of a, like a husband-wife relationship, the same in the New Testament, Jesus and the Church, right, the Bride of Christ. It's even the pictures of how God deals with his people are based on this very fundamental and original concept that uh, a man and a woman shall, uh, you know, express their sexuality in terms of a human, lifelong, covenant, faithful marriage. That's how the Church in Christ is pictured. So it's, uh, it's hard to, I mean, sure, plenty of people try, but it's hard to get away from what the Bible has clearly shown us as to what God's intentions are. Any deviation from this, any rebellion against it, is for the Christian, uh, it's sinful, and it's something to be repented of. Life, Culture, and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Christian cultural commentator Bill Muhlenberg from Culture Watch is our guest this hour. We are talking through issues to do with that word transgender. Now, you might be wondering, what does the Bible teach about gender and sexuality? We're talking transgender today. You might like to call and be part of our conversation. 1-800-316-316. Our talkback line is open. Let's take a call, Bill, from Ursula on the south coast of New South Wales. Hello, Ursula. Welcome along. Oh, good morning. And um, good morning, Bill. Um, Of course... Bill's already taken my wind out of my sails by talking about Genesis 1. That was going to be what I was going to say. That's all right, though. We can reinforce that Genesis chapter 1 is really important, isn't it, Ursula? It, it is. And, and maybe I can just make two very um, small points there. One, it, it's a, a male and female is part of the creation ordinance about marriage. So, therefore, it, it has not been tainted by the fall. Like many things that we find now, you know, sort of because of the fall, things change and Things have been, you know, allowed maybe, but things are obscure because of, you know, it's tainted by evil. But the creation ordinances were given before the fall, so they are they are pure, they are good, they are part of good good plan for humanity. Okay, and what was that second point? The second point is evolution. I mean, even uh, in Christian circles, evolution is, um, you know, quite ingrained, and and that is part of the to do with that we don't believe the first 11 chapters of Genesis as much as we used to. We sort of think it's a, you know, it's a bit of an allegory or something like that. Good point, uh, Ursula. Let's bring Bill in onto the conversation. Uh, Bill, your thoughts for Ursula? Yes, very good points indeed. The whole notion that this is a pre-fall creational ordinance, uh, you know, it shows why it's so permanent, so binding, so absolute some things that happened after the fall are provisional and so on, but there's no question that God's plan for human sexuality is foundational, and it did precede the fall. And if I may, uh, since she raises such a good point, let me speak to another thing quickly. Um, a lot of people, well, even Christians, sadly, you know, they go on about, oh, but you're born this way, so whether it's homosexuality or, you know, I've known from early on that I really wasn't a boy or whatever, they get confused and they say, well, it has to be right because it seems natural. We were born this way. Well, uh, as Ursula said, we have to recognize if you're a Christian, there is the fundamental core doctrine of the fall, just as creation is a core doctrine 
the fall is as well. That is, things are now not the way they were meant to be. Uh, everything that God made in those early chapters of Genesis, we're told, were good. They were ideal. They were perfect the way God had for us. But because of man's rebellion, beginning with Adam and Eve and extending to every one of us, things are now not the way they're meant to be. So, guess what? People can be born with all kinds of orientations. Well, uh, you know, we talk about the doctrine of original sin. There's a pretty big orientation. Every one of us are born with an orientation away from God. Uh, we have an orientation to self and sinfulness, but same thing here. Uh, somebody may, in fact, be born with a kind of a same-sex attraction, or at least it gets fed early on in the environment. So we can put that down to the results of the fall. In the same way, people may be born with a predisposition to anger or overeating. Uh, it's the same here, and let's bring it right back to transgender. Some people in a fallen world may be born with, say, no fingers on a hand, or maybe six fingers on a hand. That's the result of the fall. That's not the way it was meant to be. But no sensible person would say, I think we should now have laws at least giving every child the right to chop off their fingers because some people may be born this way. You know, we would say that's madness. Uh, you know, some people have cancer. We uh, try what we can to do to cure the cancer. We don't say this is the norm and we should uh, celebrate it and promote it. It's the same here. Some people may indeed have a, a kind of gender dysphoria. There's a bit of a mixed match mismatch with uh, their identity and who they are biologically. And by, uh, by the way, just very quickly, there is one genuine situation, what we call intersex. Now, that is a real case of, well, ambiguous genitalia where the chromosomes can be abnormal. This is a very, very rare condition, things like Klinefelder syndrome, Turner syndrome, and so on. These are legit cases where, you know, there may be a, a, a mismatch, and it's sometimes even hard to tell for the doctor at birth, is this a boy or a girl? So, again, two quick things about this. One, it's very rare. Two, it is based on actual chromosome or other issues that are not normal. And we would, as Christians, again, say, well, that makes sense. In a fallen world, you're going to have all kinds of uh, things that are less than ideal, but many, in fact, most in the genuine intersex camp say, look, we're not part of the radical homosexual agenda, we're not part of the trans agenda. Uh, so that's, you know, they're always included LGBTI, right, trying to include the intersex in their advocacy and militancy, but those who are really in the genuine intersex camp say, look, we're in, you know, this is totally different. This is, we're, you know, we're not a third gender. There's not this big spectrum of genders. This is a genuine uh, case of, uh, you know, abnormalities, which can be traced back even to the chromosomal level. But again, nothing to do with either the radical homosexual agenda or the current trans agenda. 
Ursula from the south coast of New South Wales, uh, thank you so much. Although we didn't uh, tackle your second point there, uh, Bill Muhlenberg, uh, the idea that, uh, you know, with the uh, advent of uh, the rise of evolutionary theory, uh, detracting from the value that people will put on uh, those first chapters of Genesis being history and therefore uh, talking about that being a foundation, uh, that is a concern, isn't it? Because people are not taking Genesis to be as serious as uh, as an understanding that this is God's uh, God's way of defining sexuality. Your thoughts on the, on that issue of uh, of the evolution rise? Yeah, well, absolutely. Two quick things can be say said about that. One is what you just said, of course. If we buy that way of looking at things, of course, we're going to discount for the most part, well, the Bible as a whole, but certainly the opening chapters of Genesis. So there's a big problem there. And even the so-called theistic evolution can be a, a big problem, but that's the stuff of another, uh, you know, at least an hour or two discussion. Uh, a second thing, of course, interesting to point out, if all this were true in terms of what the evolutionists say, well, uh, you know, it's it's dog-eat-dog, to put it very simply. If there's mutations, well, they tend to be harmful. They tend to be uh, put people at a disadvantage. So things which may render people infertile have no biological advantage. So, you know, if we claim that homosexuality and so on is genetic, you're born that way and you can't reproduce as such as a homosexual well according to the evolutionary theory then this would be a, a harmful development in the evolutionary process one that should weed itself out right <laughs> it's not one that would be advantageous to the to dna and all of its uh its uh development so um you know even if we wanted to buy the whole evolutionary deal uh, that gives us problems, both with the homosexual and the trans agenda. Thank you so much to Ursula from the south coast of New South Wales. Our talkback line is open, 1-800-316-316. We're one minute out from news, so a very quick uh, comment from you, Bill Muhlenberg. We had a caller called through and said, uh, what about the New Testament, what the New Testament says regarding sexuality? As much as we often talk about the Old Testament, uh, Bill, uh, of course, uh, the New Testament connections to that Genesis uh, passage very quickly in about 30 seconds. Yeah, well, as we said, Jesus in the Gospels in several places fully affirmed the Genesis account. So there's complete uh, continuity between the old and the new, and so with the epistles as well, the same prohibition against things like homosexuality. So there's no difference. It's one message. It's all of a piece. Christian cultural commentator Bill Muhlenberg from Culture Watch is our guest. He's written extensively about transgender issues over the years and we are taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Bill, let's take some calls because there's lots of people wanting to get through and have their say today. Let's hear, first of all, from Charmaine in Western Australia. Charmaine, welcome along to 2020. Have I got you, Charmaine? Uh, we'll try, uh, let's try Lynn from WA. Hello, Lynn. Welcome along. Oh, hi, Neil and Bill. Lynn, what are your thoughts on our conversation today? Well, I actually wanted to share that um, I didn't know that that's what this particular issue is about until um, recently. 
because I had a struggle myself. My head was saying that I was male, but my body was female, and it's been a, a lifelong struggle. But then I saw a story on Australian Story about these twins that were born, and they were both boys, but one was averting to being um, acting out being a female, and then... Uh, as the child got older, it wanted uh, it wanted to have surgery to become a girl, and the, the mother was supportive, but the father wasn't. And to this day, that person is living as a female, and um, has been accepted as a female. Lynn, your story uh, just demonstrates just how complicated this whole issue gets. Uh, let's bring Bill Muhlenberg. Uh, Bill, your thoughts for Lynn in WA. Yes, good point. We uh, mentioned earlier that in a fallen world, there's plenty of anomalies. That's to be expected. Uh, the question is, do we run with these anomalies and accept them as normal? Or as Christians, do we overcome that which is clearly hostile to the Word of God? My wife, for example, told me when she was young, she felt like a bit of a tomboy. She didn't like pink. She didn't do a lot of the stuff the girls did. But, of course, she's fully female. She's now my uh, wife. And she even said, boy, I'm glad I wasn't raised during this current climate where pressure is now put on young kids. Oh, you feel a little bit uncomfortable, do you? You, you don't like pink. Well, welcome to the club. You're one of us. You're obviously trans. You obviously need to transition. So it's a huge pressure being put on kids when, uh, you know, up until two years ago, nobody was even thinking this way. So as a Christian, we understand there are some anomalies, abnormalities, but we don't baptize such things. We don't declare what is abnormal to be normal. And in Christ, of course, he brings healing, he brings restoration, he can change lives. Okay, and Lynn, we've still got you with us. If we're talking yeah. about, uh, and I'll just bring Bill Muhlenberg into here, because if we talk about feelings and we talk yeah. about what God says, uh, do feelings trump what God says, or does God and what he says trump our feelings? Uh, Bill Muhlenberg, uh, how, do you, uh, how do you actually uh, affirm what we ought to be looking at here by way of an objectivity? Well, uh, as should be obvious with a Christian, uh, God's word trumps everything. As I say, some people might be born with a disposition to anger. So do we just give in and say, well, I'm just an angry person. I was born that way. It's in my DNA. God obviously made me this way, so I'm just going to act out and affirm my anger. No, if you're a Christian, you realize that, too, is a result of the fall, God is in the business of changing lives, and you don't have to spend the rest of your life being an angry person. The same here. If there's uncomfort or discomfort with your uh, identity and your uh, actual body, well, that's a mental, psychological issue that needs counseling. But it certainly doesn't need surgery. It doesn't need affirmation that you're part of the club and you need to go the whole hog. In fact, we've got a lot of people now who are re-transitioning you know they've done the surgery they've done the whole bit and now they realize it hasn't helped anything and now they're going back to the birth you know the way they were born so that's something that we have to be aware of as well uh, lynn from wa you were having your own uh feelings uh dysphoria 
How are you at the moment, Lynn? Well, I just wanted to say that it was an internal conflict and I didn't really understand what was going on until I saw that program and then it had a face. Or oh, this is what it's about. That's what's been my struggle. But the truth of the matter is, um, the way you're born is the way that God intended you to be and I had identity issues. It was a... An, uh, um, you know, I struggle with my identity, and um, but you know I don't have that struggle anymore because the truth was brought into the light, and when it's brought out of the darkness into the light, it can be dealt with. And um, the interesting thing is, um, Mum would always get my hair cut short, and for years I've wanted it to try and grow, and then it's only started to grow after that. Um, uh, truth, you know, came out into the light. So my Lynn, hair started to grow. <laughs> Lynn, I want to thank you so much for uh, your courageous uh, calling in today and sharing your story. And uh, I'm thrilled to know that you have based your truth and reality on God's word rather than just uh, being blown around by your feelings. And I want to thank you so much uh, for taking that time to share your thoughts with our listeners today on 2020. Lynn, thanks so much. Uh, we are taking calls on 1-800-316-316. You might like to join our conversation. Our talkback line is open. Let's take a call uh, from, I think we have, do we have Charmaine with us? Hello, Charmaine. No, I don't have Charmaine. Let's try hearing from, uh, where is it? Uh, I think it's, uh, let me see. I've got John in Sydney. Hello, John. Yeah. Welcome along. Hello. Well, thank you. John, what are Hello, your Bill. thoughts? Um, what an amazing story Lynn just shared. That is incredible. What a beautiful person. Um, I agree. I've, um, talking, I, I've had the privilege to sit with a lot of transgender and to listen and, and speak to and try and share the gospel, um, a way of doing that. I think one of the mistruths that most people have is that they sit down and think that there's a sexual issue for these for the people dealing with transgender. It's and as Lynn said, it's an identity thing. It's I hate what I am, and if I could be that, I will feel better. And knowing my childhood and the things and the issues that happened through my teenage years it gets to a certain point where you start to think, if only I could be that, I will feel better. When I was sitting with people who were struggling with the issues of transgender, it wasn't a case of telling them you're doing the wrong thing. Their fibre, moral fibre on the inside says, this is wrong, I just don't know how to fix myself. When I started sharing that God loves the original, the, the, the piece that was made that knitted in the mother's womb, then they would start to listen. And then after a month or two, you could actually speak to the person who is on the inside, not the one that they're trying to show on the outside. And, and that's the key thing, is speaking to the person who God talks to on the inside. That's John, the great thoughts in there. Let's hear from Bill Muhlenberg. Uh, Bill, your thoughts for John? Yes, very good points indeed. Absolutely. This whole notion of identity, of orientation, not only is it a quite new uh, idea, but it's certainly an unbiblical one. Obviously, for the Christian, 
the ultimate identity we have is in Christ. Um, so many people talk about trying to find their true self and this and that. Well, the Christian knows where that comes from. Uh, as we get right with God and spend time with him and identify with him, then we become all that we were meant to be. Sure, all this can be a long struggle, whether it's the recovering homosexual or the recovering alcoholic. None of this may necessarily be easy. We're all broken people. We're probably all sexually broken people as well. So when we do get right with God and start thinking his truth instead of the world's truth, we can slowly start to change, and it's when we change our thinking, uh, the rest of it can follow as well. So some very good points John has raised there, and uh, as we've said, it can be complex. Nothing is easy in a fallen world, but the beginning place always has to be an affirmation of truth. Thank you so much to John. Uh, appreciate your call. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. You might also like to uh, uh, post a comment on our Facebook page. In fact, uh, there's been a number of comments that have come through. One from Margie Bill, who's on this gender topic, says it's very difficult when a Christian father does this. Obviously, uh, goes transgender. Uh, she says, my husband did. I raised three sons then on my own as I only felt I had to divorce as I didn't agree with him. My sons are okay but won't have anything to do with church as they know that Christians don't accept this. Very painful uh, from Margie. Any thoughts for Margie on, on the, well, she's just gone through uh, a dreadful mm. circumstance, hasn't she? Yeah. Yeah, well, two prongs on this one. It's the same, say, with homosexuality. You have a Christian couple with kids, you know, 10 years on in the marriage, the husband or the wife decides, oh, I'm, I'm homosexual, and leaves the family. I know of many actual stories like this. So it is terrible. It's terrible on the family. It's terrible on the children. Uh, the second point kind of raised here is, you know, what is the response of the church? How do we deal with this? As we said at the opening uh, we have to affirm truth and yet, uh, you know, show love and compassion. Uh, sadly, churches probably are not good at either one. We're often not standing up for truth when we should be, but we can often be lacking in compassion as well. So certainly here, this is a new thing, the transgender. It really is an area where people probably need kind of helpful counseling and, you know, therapy. So sure, your average Christian may not be feel confident to do that kind of thing, but at least we can learn some of the basic biblical truths, maybe learn a bit about the trans agenda, and uh, take it from there. Another comment from Facebook from Mike in Beaconsfield that comes around this issue of twisting the scriptures here. Uh, and Mike in Beaconsfield says, Hi Bill, re-transgender. Surely the whole issue is to trash the words of Jesus when he restated Genesis, have you not read that in the beginning, etc. He says, The evil one hates all Jesus, God says, is good. Uh, your thoughts for Mike and the way that people do and that the devil is in the meddling in there, uh, twisting the words of Jesus and trying to make it say something different to what the Bible teaches. Yeah, absolutely. No question. Satan hates everything about God and everything that he made that was good. So, of course, his whole life is spent twisting and distorting 
So if God made human sexuality between a man and a woman for life, guess what? He's working overtime to destroy that. He'll destroy or try to destroy the words of Jesus, the words of the apostles. In fact, just as with homosexuality, we have what's known as theological revisionism, where people try to revise and twist the Bible to make it seem as if the Bible actually supports homosexuality. And I've got whole chapters in my books dealing with that. It's the same here with the trans thing. They're taking scriptures, twisting them like mad. Classic case, uh, Galatians 3.28, right? In Christ there's neither slave nor free, male nor female. Uh, And they're trying to say, oh, look, there's your transgender. Paul says we can, you know, there's a spectrum. There's uh, no. (laughs) The short answer is, of course not. Paul was not saying that because we become one in Christ that we somehow lose our genitals and, you know, become sexless amoebas or something. That is not at all what Paul is saying. He's simply affirming that in whatever walk of life or status, Uh, When you come to Christ, you find a unity in Christ, but that does not, for a moment, eliminate sex differences which God built into us at the very beginning. We're taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Chris in Victoria. Hello, Chris. Welcome along. Uh, Good day, Neil. Good day, uh, Bill. Yeah, um, the people, most of the people pushing this agenda, obviously, Bill knows... uh, you know, their, their handbook is The Rules for Radicals by Saul Alinsky, and rule number 13 is, uh, or rule number 11 is, if you push a negative hard and deep enough, it'll break through into its counter side. And, you know, the one thing that, that these people can't uh, go against is that facts. Facts can never be bigoted or racist and that sort of thing. And uh, we have our rule book, which we can push back at them and, and tell them in no uncertain terms that God says that if you cause a child to stumble, it's better if you put a millstone around your neck and throw yourself into the sea. So, yeah. uh, very good point, Chris. Your thoughts, Bill? Yes, a lot of good points there. Saul Linsky's 1971 classic is the manual of the left, and certainly the transgender militants have picked up on it big time. Uh, look, uh, it's, uh, well, his point about biology and facts, uh, I hate to say it, but opinions do not uh, overcome reality or facts or biology. You may have an opinion that, uh, you know, you're of all different kinds of genders, and there's over a hundred kind of genders. Now the activists are telling us, you may try to tell us the Bible doesn't really teach that there's a male and female, but again, biology will always trump. Reality trumps, but the other side is not good at arguing with facts, with, you know, basic biology. Uh, So it's always emotional argument, you know, look at poor me, I'm trapped in the wrong body. How can you be so harsh and judgmental and intolerant? Why can't I be free to be me? So it's always an appeal to emotion, personal stories, and yet never an appeal to actual fact, certainly not biological fact, medical, scientific fact. So it makes it hard for us who want to stand for truth because the other side is not a big fan of truth. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Taking this hour to talk about transgenderism and how you as a Christian look at what the Bible says about transgender. And and of course the word transgender doesn't appear, but as we've been talking about sexuality, there's lots that the Bible either speaks of or infers when it comes to this issue of sexuality. 
Bill Muhlenberg is our guest uh, from Culture Watch, and we've been talking through these issues. Bill, uh, is there a way that, for those who are listening to our conversation today, uh, either know someone in their community, uh, perhaps it's even a close family member who's been struggling with these things. They've been hearing that common sense, uh, that science, and indeed the scriptures are on the side of there being just male and female, and uh, these are sorts of issues have come to light. The idea of being set free from that lifestyle, and of course it's very controversial to talk about uh, issues of healing or uh, hope that people might have, but your thoughts on, on ways forward for people who might be listening to our conversation today, uh, whether there is hope for a biblical and Christian view of of what we're talking about with transgender. Yeah, well, certainly there is. Uh, just as in the homosexual debate, there's a whole group of invisible people, people who are not supposed to exist, namely ex-homosexuals, and I know many of them personally. I have many of their stories reported in my books. Uh, you know, people can turn around. Uh, you can even do it without Christ, and there's secular ministries involved, but for the most part, those who come to Christ who want healing from same-sex attraction, well, there's plenty of these people who've been set free. They left the homosexual lifestyle, they've gone on to get married, have children, uh, many of them even reporting the actual attraction, the desires have left them as well. So it's certainly possible for the homosexual, and we'd say the same here with those struggling with gender dysphoria. Uh, as we mentioned, it's a psychological, mental issue, not a physical one, and there would be a spiritual component to it as well. And as we also said, there's plenty of people who are detransitioning. They are going back to wh- what they originally were. So, in fact, that's one of the big growth industries at the moment. So many uh, children, especially, are being forced into the transitioning process uh, gullible, innocent children who adults are using as guinea pigs, but they discover that, well, they still have the same problem. Suicide rates are still very high, much higher for transgender, those who've done the transition, uh, psychological problems. So they've realized that, you know, just the tinkering with the body is not dealing with the core issues. So many are now going back to where they once were uh, as they were born. So that's the good news for everyone struggling in this area. There is hope. There is healing. There is help available for those who want it. We're not talking about forcing those who don't. But for those who do, God is in the change business. Okay. And I'll point people, Bill, to a number of books that you've written, and you've written a number on the issue of homosexuality. And some of those same principles that we've been talking about, what the Bible teaches about sexuality, uh, come to the fore in your books, uh, Strained Relations and Dangerous Relations. And you did mention you're working on a book that will be specifically uh, targeting this whole issue of uh, transgender. Uh, and people will look forward to that. I'll tell people where they can get a hold of those books uh, simply go to your website billmuhlenberg.com or you can google culture watch and uh, you'll be able to have access to those books there on bill's page Uh, but you can also access the latest articles that bill has been writing a number of those of recent times one of those called transgenderism and scripture twisting 
And there's a number of articles, and no doubt there'll be some new ones coming out into the near future. Bill Muhlenberg from Culture Watch, thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts today with listeners on 2020. Always a pleasure. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.